you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 12. As we uh, prepare our, our hearts to receive that which the Lord has for us this morning, I'm uh, reminded last night we the, the event for uh, Nogme and Saeed and, at Lighthouse took place, and remembering uh, our brother in chains in Evan Prison. Also, uh, considering all the things that are going on within our body, seems like the Lord is calling us to prayer. It just happens to coincide uh, somewhat with the National Day of Prayer. Everywhere I looked, uh, prayer seems to be on my mind anyway. And this morning as I uh, was preparing, uh, putting everything uh, kind of in line for this morning, um, the Lord changes things sometimes and so we're doing something a little different i was planning on doing chapter 12 we're going to make it through five verses this morning so but let's uh, read them together and after we read them i just uh, gonna uh play a a video the video is a, a theme song for the national day of prayer and kind of uh encapsulates a lot of what we're going to be talking about this morning it says chapter 12 Acts verse 1, now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. And Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Let's watch the video.
desperate place Father I know you can bear the weight Father Take me in your arms As I speak your name I lift my hands and pray God, we just come before you this morning asking that you would uh, open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, open our hearts. I pray, God, by your spirit, you would uh, help me be able to express the things that are in my heart, Lord, and I pray, God, that you be glorified in this place as we take a look at what happens when your people pray. God, we... uh, Just thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we take a look at a section of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, I guess we need to be aware of who the players are. The first guy is Herod. You know, we hear that name a lot. It's a lot of of different Herods. This is uh, Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa II is the one that Paul preaches to who says... You almost persuade me, if you're familiar with that, with that Herod. This is his father. And this Herod has an interesting story. His, his father's name was Aristobulus, and, and uh, his grandpa killed him. His grandpa, that was the one, the Herod, that was mostly psycho. Most of them were, but even more than the others. And so he sent his grandson to Rome to be raised in Rome. Now... His grandson made friends, just like our kids make friends, right? You ever wondered about the friends your kids make? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one who ever did that. Well, little Herod, he made friends with a guy you might be aware of from history. His name is Caligula. If you never heard of Caligula, he was crazy too. So somehow crazy people find each other. Have you ever noticed that? So you have Herod Agrippa I, he's not Herod yet, but he will be, and uh, Caligula, they're buddies, growing up, they're buddies. Well, when they get older, Herod gets a lot of debt. So he goes back to Palestine to get away from the debt that he owed people in Rome, and he hangs out in, in Palestine for a while, but that's not really working out so good. So he goes back to Rome and gets arrested and thrown in prison. Hits his low point, you know, the, the low point for Herod, he's in prison, in chains, Tiberius is Caesar at that time. Oh, but then uh, he dies, and Caligula becomes emperor. 
he becomes Caesar. That's never a bad thing if your childhood buddy has become the ruler of the world, right? So Caligula takes him out of prison, gives him, rather than iron chains or fetters to hold him in prison, he gives him gold chains weighing more than the iron chains did, and he begins to give to him the Palestine. What happens is, you remember how Pilate was a, like a tetrarch or a ruler, an overseer of, of the area of Judea? Well, they stopped doing that in Rome, and they started just giving all that power to the Herods. So the Herod would rule uh, under the control of whatever Caesar. Well, Caligula, he eventually gets murdered, and Claudius takes over. And Claudius and, and Herod Agrippa I were buddies too. So he had a lot of political involvement and intrigue. And, and, and he was buddies with some really despicable characters from history. He was a politician's politician. So he always liked to do whatever made everybody happy. If he could do something and make the majority of people happy, he was stoked about that. That that meant that the people would follow his rule and things would go relatively well. So he was well-loved in Israel. The people liked him. In fact, he found one way to, to gain popularity was to kill James. Well, James in the Bible, we see James, another player here on, the, on this board that we're studying this morning. James, we see, was always named with another fellow. You guys remember the other guy he's always named with? James and John. They were always with a third guy. You remember the third guy? Peter. Peter, James, and John. They were the inner circle for Jesus, right? Whenever Jesus did something where he went alone, but he brought somebody with him, who did he bring? Peter, James, and John. These are God's favorite. If you took the 12 and you picked who are, who are God's favorite out of these 12, well, it's got to be those three, right? He keeps them close. He keeps them close. I have always said... They had to be the problem children, because you always keep the problem children as close as possible. The other ones you can leave alone at home, but the problem child you take with you. So Peter, James, and John. If you were to say of the 12, of the 12 apostles, the guys that are going out doing the work of God, if you were to say, James, God's not going to let nothing happen to James. He's one of the three. Right? So Herod arrests him and cuts off his head. According to the Mishnah, an apostate was to be put to death by cutting off his head. You know, they're brothers, right? You guys know that the, the, the Hebrew and the Arab are brothers. And we look at Islam a lot and we see Islam and the things that Islam did, but they're not that far separated from one another. So they, they cut off James' head. He cut off James' head and, and all the people in power, the Jews, capital, the, the definite article before the capital J, Jews, he's talking about the ruling class of the Jewish people. They were stoked for what he'd done. He, he, he killed these people that were pestering the, the nation, turning the world upside down, right, with their teachings. In fact, he was so excited about the, the influence that it had, he went after another one of the three. You know, he didn't go after one of the other guys. You know, the ones whose names we all forget. Now, it doesn't mean that they were not as impactful. I'm sure they were. They were filled with the Holy Spirit doing the same thing. But they're not as well-known, right? You know, you, they went after the well-known. He went after Peter. Peter. 
Number two of the three. I don't know, maybe John is starting to look behind himself a little bit. James, his brother. Now Peter's arrested. Look what the Bible says. It says, so when they had arrested him, he seized Peter during the days of unleavened bread. So it's Passover season. And it says that while he arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers. So you have four squads or four groups of four, the Roman soldiers, that would guard over six hours. Each one would have a six-hour shift. 24 hours, he was chained between two guards. Chained between two guards. So sometimes we don't understand that picture. You need to get a little bit of that picture. Okay, Chained between two guards. You think the guards were really stoked about six hours a day hanging out with this guy? You think they just sat there and calmly talked about scripture, doctrine? Oh, Peter, tell me, what do you think about this verse? I don't know, somehow I, I have a hard time thinking that's how it was going down. Well, did Peter share? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. In fact, when I read this story, I can't help but think of Saeed probably going through very similar circumstances. He had to be being abused by the guards. You're bored. Six hours, I'm standing here looking at this guy. There's probably going to be a little grief. There Peter is, caught between these two, in a rock and a hard place, handled by a man who just killed uh, James, one of the three. Look at verse 5. So Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. In verse 5, you had, there's so much stuff in verse 5 that I decided we won't see the miracle till next week. We need to talk about the attitude within the church, what it is that the church does. Who is the church? The church is beleaguered. The church is persecuted. The church is, is reeling. If you think the church wasn't praying when they took James, you're crazy. They took James. You think the church didn't pray? You think they just decided, you know, we didn't pray when James got killed, so we better pray for Peter? No. They prayed. James died. One of the neat things that I see in this is that when Peter's taken, they haven't changed. They're still praying. They're still going before the Lord. They're still coming to Him. Look at what takes place in that verse. Peter therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered where? To God. They offered their prayer to God. The prayer filled with power must first be a prayer offered to God. Well, you know, I don't know who you think I'm praying to, Jackie, but when I'm praying, I'm praying to God. I thought all prayers go to God. Well, I guess I need to break that down a little bit. What I mean, I mean there must be a conscious approach into the presence of God. And we don't do that. We don't do that. Sometimes. But for the most part, what happens when we pray is we go, okay, I got some place to be, something to do, so I'm going to pray. So let's pray. We join hands. We gather. How many times have we done this before a trip? Oh, we're getting ready to take a trip. We got to get, we got to be down in Boise for a concert. Let's circle up and pray. We circle up and pray. Everybody holds hands and pray. Lord, give us traveling mercies. Do we take time to consciously go into the presence of God? 
Did we even think about it? Did we even think about who we're praying to? Or we just say words? I mean, that becomes our habit, right? I think it's important just to, just to take a minute. You know, you guys just get what God hammers me with this morning, so sorry. I had something totally different planned until this morning. So, but God, God says, look, I want you to, I want you to be conscious of where you're going. Often our mind is focused on our need, the issue, right? I gotta go, we gotta be, we got this to do, this to do, and we squeeze prayer in. And prayer becomes this afterthought, this quick thing we do because that's what we are. We pray. And the reason it becomes an afterthought and the reason we don't put a lot of stock into it is because we really don't believe we're going to change anything by doing it. Well, if we did, we'd treat it different, right? If we did, our attitude would be different. And maybe part of it is because we're, we're not really taking the time to think about who God is. Uh, reminded of a song, actually, this morning. You know, God does weird things in my life. I don't know. This morning, I'm on my way, and I, I heard this song on the radio. Just We just live a couple miles away, so it just happened. You know, God wins. It just happens to be on the radio, and while it's on the radio, I'm like, wow, that's like... I don't know about for you guys. Sometimes you hear a song, and it just articulates, you know, the thoughts that are going on in your head. It gives you words to... What's happening in your heart? Well, the, the, it's a Mercy Me song. It's called You Are I Am. And I've heard it 10,000 times. But this morning I was just, you know, kind of chewing on prayer and the concept of prayer. And so some things, some lyrics jumped out at me. And I just want to share you because I think sometimes this is our heart in prayer. And in, in the beginning of the song, he says, I've been the one to shake with fear and wonder if you're even here. Oh, sometimes that's how I... I go to God, you know, I'm, I'm afraid about what's going to happen. I'm focused on, you know, what's inside of me and, 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 and my fear. And, and, and I don't want to get the idea, well, well what, do I, what am I supposed to do? Then I'll, I'll pretend that that's not happening. No, that's dumb, okay? You cannot pretend that you're not afraid when you're talking to God. God's not going, oh, well, you had me fooled, you know, I didn't renew. No, God knows what's going on inside of you. Who you need to be honest with is yourself. You've got to be honest with me. That This is what's going on. Inside. I think this is part of thinking about who I'm talking to. Thinking about who God is. The, the next line in the song goes, I, I've been the one to doubt your love. And I've told myself you're not enough. And you know that comes from maybe praying about something that we really wanted to see God do and it went different I I doubt there's anybody in here who hasn't prayed for someone who was sick and dying who uh, God took anyway and we think well, what was the point why did I bother praying in the first place what was that all about you know God's just going to do what God's going to do so why pray He's going to move. He's, God is sovereign. He's in control. Uh, what, what, what part, if any, do I have to play in any of that? And those doubts come up within us. And we begin to despise the one thing God's given us that enables us to really affect the world around us. See, we think we can affect the world around us by the, by the power of our flesh. And 
And our flesh is not ever going to accomplish anything good. The one thing that we can use, we begin to despise. Well, in some ways, you know, it's kind of harsh, but we become like a spoiled child who's asked for something that they didn't get, and so I'm not going to ask you anymore. We can begin to develop that attitude. But I think part of making a prayer unto God is considering who God is and what's in my heart when I'm coming before Him. Or we just pretend that everything's okay. Like we, we get so used to pretending. Don't we get used to pretending? Ah, come on. I see you guys drive into church. We said that before, right? You know how me and Kathy get over it? This is how we get over it. I get up at 3 in the morning and I leave before anybody is moving in the house. Guaranteed, I will never have a fight on Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, I can't make any promises there. But Sunday morning... We're not going to have any issues. When we do, you know, we'll get into a little bicker. We call it the bickerlies. We'll get into a little bickerly thing. And then you pull into the, to the parking lot, open up the door. and <laughs> Smile, smile everywhere. Smile, close the door. I'm not mad at my kids, you know. You're walking into church. And you, if I have to talk to you one more time, I'm going to kill you when we go home. <laughs> you better be good in there. Whatever. Look. When, we, when I say our prayers are unto God, not only do we have to focus on who He is, but we've got to focus on what's in my heart. What's going on in my heart? The, the next part of the song says, I'll, I'll be the one to try and say I'll overcome in my own strength. And really, when we face difficulties in life, and that, and that our tendency, if I can solve it myself, I don't need to pray. So I'll try to do it myself. And then the, the last part of that phrase is, uh, um, I've been the one to fall apart and start to question who you are. If we're honest, that occurs if we are disappointed in prayer. If we haven't seen God move the way we thought He should, or, or something's been going on in our life, or we're struggling with that concept, we start to question who God is and what's the person, why am I praying, and is He really there? Is anybody really listening to me at all when I pray? I don't understand what's going on. I have these confusing verses in the Bible that tell me that God's going to give the things that we, that we ask for, that He's going to move, but, but that's not been my experience. The first thing I wanted to point out in verse 5 is who they prayed to. And you got to know who He is. Well, that's what the rest of that song's about. It says, you're the one who conquers giants. You believe that? You're the one who conquers giants? You know the story about that little kid? His name's David. And he's taking a sack lunch to his brothers who are in, in a battle at war. And while he's dropping off the sack of lunch, there's this big old burly Goliath dude. He's sitting up on a hill with a big old spear. And he's cursing the children of Israel and saying, Look, we don't need everybody. don't need to fight. You send one guy over here. We'll have at it. The winner takes all. And nobody from Israel would move. And David comes walking in. And he says, why, why don't somebody go shut that guy up? Well, he's like 16. If he's that old. And his brothers are like, oh, come on now, David, you're just a little kid. Just give me my lunch and go home. What do you mean give you lunch? Somebody's got to make that guy be quiet. My question to you is, 
Who had the right view of who God was? His brothers or David? Because David knew who he was. David didn't know how good he was. He didn't know, wow, I'm really good with a sling and a stone. I'll take this guy. He's got a nine foot long spear. His brothers are like, you're never even going to get close to him. You, you get anywhere close to him, he'll throw that spear through you and make a Jewish kebab out of you and four guys behind you. Yeah. But David knew who his God was. David knew. So, he wasn't afraid. Do you know who your God is? He's the one who conquers giants. I love the story because the Bible says, Goliath looked at him and said, What am I, a dog? You sent a little kid out to me? And he reached over and grabs his spear and sit, stands up. And David started running at him. A little kid with a sling and a stone. We know the rest of the story, right? He's the one who conquers giants. He's the one who calls out kings. Who called David out? Who, who brought David as a little shepherd and made him king? That's what God does. He knows what's inside of us before we even know what's inside of us. You ever heard of that fellow Gideon? Oh, mighty man of valor hiding in a hole from anybody who might see you? You and I walking by wouldn't have said, hey, there's a man of valor, but God knew. He knew before Gideon knew. See, God's the one who calls out kings. You shut the mouths of lions. Oh, you, you that, that other teenager. A lot of teenagers in this song. What other teenager, his name was Daniel. Daniel was roughly 16, 15 when he's taken into Babylon. Yeah? Well, this is later on in his life. Now he's an older fella, and he's told not to pray. He can only pray to the king. And Daniel's like, well, I'm praying. I pray. Sorry if you don't like it. So they throw him in a den of lions. Daniel knew who his God was, right? He's the one who shuts the mouths of lions. Do you know who your God is? Because most of us, when we pray, we pray to a God who has no power, no juice, no strength, won't deliver. That's the God we're praying to. And that God won't answer a single prayer. Do you know who you're praying to? Song goes on to say, you tell the dead to breathe. I'm sure Mary and Martha, standing there four days after they buried their brother, they're thinking, you know, Jesus, why you show up now? Four days late, he's been in the ground, he stinketh. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You believe this? Is your God the God who tells the dead to breathe? Because shortly after that, Jesus said just a couple words, right? Lazarus, come forth. And he come out of the grave. Is that your God? Song goes on to say, you're the one who walks through fire. You remember them three young people again, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rack, Shack, and Benny in VeggieTales? In case you're more familiar with VeggieTales. Uh, if you're wondering about their Hebrew names, it's Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And they're, they're, they're told by Nebuchadnezzar, bow before this statue of my awesomeness. 
And so they say, no, we won't bow. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, if you don't bow before the statue, I'll throw you in the fire. Yeah, king, uh, live forever. We're not bowing to your statue. I'm going to ask you one more time. And if you don't bow this time, I'm really going to throw you in the fire. Nobody, the king said, can save you from my hands. You remember what they said? Our God is able to save us from your hands, O king, live forever. That was a nice way of saying, you're in charge. Our God's able to save us from your hands, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing to your dumb statue. The king got so mad, he heats up the fire seven times hotter. That's a, a, a way of saying he got it so hot, it's stupid hot. What do I mean by stupid hot? Um, it killed the guys who were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. I've often wondered when I get that, the Bible says that the people who were going to go throw them in the fire died because it was so hot. Well, who put them in? Guess they just walked in. The Bible says, a guy come to Nebuchadnezzar and they said, yeah, we put those guys in the fire. You did? Yeah. What are they doing? Just walking around. <laughs> they're, they're doing what? Yeah, they're just walking around. Yeah, and there's another guy in there now. He looks like the Son of God. Well, maybe we should have those guys come out. He's the God who walks through fire. Is that your God? Is that the God that you're praying to? Or is the God that you're praying to weak? Not able? It's important to know who you're praying to. Last part of the song says, You take the orphan's hand. You are the one Messiah. You are I am. There's a lot in that. That the concept, you are, I am, means you are the becoming one. You're everything I need. Is that the one you're praying to? Is that the God you're praying to? Because it matters. If it's just the God of the second thought, then you're praying to the wrong guy. The God of the second thought, he, he's not real. He don't even hear you. If it's the God of the afterthought, then he's not real either. Do you know who you're praying to? It matters. They made their prayers unto God. They were aware of who they were talking to. They believed that God was listening to them and ready to grant their request. The church came together. The prayer of power must first be given unto God. The God. The prayer of power must also be a passionate prayer. Oh, did you see that in verse 5? In your Bible, maybe it says, but constant prayer was being offered. Maybe your Bible says fervent. Your Bible might say passionate. may say a number of other things. The word is ectenis. Ectenis is a picture. It's a word picture. It means to reach out for something you can't quite touch. It's stretching with all your might. Just that you might be able to touch it. You might be able to to lay a hold of it. The idea is to be impassioned with, with 
receiving what it is you're asking for. You ever reached out for something like that? Just just impassioned before the Lord. Your prayer is impassioned to reach out for Him, to, to, to desire to see God move in this way, because we have at least two examples in the Bible that we're going to look at. So hold your place here and go to Luke. You're going to turn to the left to come to Luke. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, exact same word used in this prayer. Luke twenty two forty four, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Do you know who they're talking about? The place is called the Garden of Gachmone, Gethsemane. The person is Jesus Christ. He's praying before the cross. And he's moved with passion. And he's praying earnest. That's God. That's God in the flesh headed to the cross. And he's given to you and I a picture of impassioned prayer. Reaching out for that thing that you want to lay hold of. What was it that he was praying? If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, your will be done. He is so impassioned in his prayer that he is sweating great drops of sweat. And that's pretty pretty incredible. The only time, or well, the, the last time I experienced something like this was in boot camp. In boot camp, if you did something wrong, when I was in Marine Corps boot camp, you did something wrong, they did something called thrashing. Yeah, any way you picture that, that's a viable picture in your mind. And they would call out exercises. You standing by yourself in front of two or three drill instructors. It's already a scary event. And they just shout out exercises. As they shout it out, you do it as hard and as fast as you can. And what they tell you before they thrash you is, we are going to exercise you till you die. And I'm pretty sure they mean it when they say it. So it begins. Bends and thrusts, up, downs, up, downs, sit-ups, push-ups. You're flopping around like a fish out of water on the ground. Now you may do this for, I don't know, when I did it, it seemed like all day. It might have been eight hours straight, but... It probably wasn't. All I remember is when I started, the concrete under my feet was dry. And when I was done, there was a puddle that had flowed out of my body. When I read this section of scripture, Jesus praying and sweating great drops of blood, that's the picture. So when is the last time my prayer has been so impassioned, so invigorated, coming out of my heart and my soul, that I... Am laboring, sweating great drops of sweat on the ground. I would say, never. We read Acts chapter 12 and we want to see a miracle and we want to see God move, but that's the way they were praying. That's the same word. That's how they prayed. That's how they prayed. It was, it was impassioned. Hebrews 5 7. 
describing this event that Jesus prayed in Hebrews 5-7. This is what it says. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And was heard because of his godly fear. You hear the passion and the way Jesus prayed? Vehement cries and tears. That's how he prayed. That's the same word. Same word for how the church was praying for Peter. And this is not a church that, well, God was just giving them whatever they wanted. No, he wasn't. They had prayed the same way for James, and he was dead. But they didn't quit. They didn't whine. They didn't pout. They didn't give up. They didn't come up with a hundred excuses of why I shouldn't pray like that anymore. I'm so disappointed in Almighty God. They kept praying. Impassioned. Vehement cries. And tears. And the language of verse 5 in Acts chapter 12 would indicate they prayed all night long. I'd say that's pretty committed, wouldn't you? That's a pretty amazing, committed attitude that they have. James 5.16, you guys have all heard this verse before. It says, confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer. Fervent, that's that word again. Fervent, passionate, impassioned. Stretching out, reaching for something you can't quite grasp. This impassioned prayer. Oh, it says effective, fervent. Fervent, okay, we got an idea what fervent, that's that passion. What about righteous? Maybe I'm not righteous. Well, if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're righteous. For he who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. If you are saved, you're a righteous man, made perfect in Christ Jesus. Period. So you're righteous. You're in right standing with God. We, we want to have fervent, impassioned prayer. What's effective prayer? Ah, effective prayer. Oh, there's so much wrapped up in that idea. There's three things that I, that I pull out of a book called The Awakening that I really liked in, in concerning the concept of, of effective prayer. One is, in my prayer, and am I in agreement with God's Word? Are you in agreement with God's Word? And before you say yes, think about what you're saying. Are you really? Are you in alignment with God's will? Well, that gets a little trickier because usually when we start talking about God's will, people say, I wish I knew what God's will for me was. Well, let me give you a clue. The book on your lap contains God's will. Are you in agreement with it? And are you in alignment with it? And are you prepared for your assignment? Agreement, alignment, assignment. Well, let me give you an example. Am I in agreement with what God's Word is saying? Am I in agreement with what it says? If I'm out of agreement with what God's Word says, then I'm out of alignment with God's will. And in order to get back into alignment with God's will, it's not a whole bunch of stuff i got to do, right? The Bible tells me in 1 John 1, 9, If I confess my sin, 
He will forgive me my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Is that what it says? That's what, the, that's what the Word declares to me. So that gets me back in alignment. So am I in agreement with God's Word? Well, let's just talk about a few examples. Wives, submit unto your husband as unto the Lord. Well, I agree with everything but that verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Oh, by the way, there's no limit to that one. That doesn't mean when I'm 18, I don't have to do that no more. That's eternal. Are you in agreement with God's word? Are you in agreement with what the Word of God teaches? I want the prayer of power in my life. Then I I make a decision. I agree with God's Word. Everything it says. Everything. Even the things I read and I go, man, that's rough. But I am in agreement. But you know, my life doesn't always line up with what God's Word reveals. So what do I do? I take the Christian's bar of soap. I take 1 John 1, 9, and I confess my sin. Lord, I'm having a hard time with this. Forgive me. Help me get on track. I want to walk with you. I agree with what your Word says. I'm in agreement, alignment. I'm ready for my assignment. I'm ready to say, here I am. Use me. Here I'm yours. Now I'm effective. And if I'm effective, I bet there'll be fervency in my prayer. In agreement, in alignment, prepared for the assignment that God's going to give me, impassioned in prayer, ready to, to do what God has. But see, the, the prayer of power knows who we're praying to. And the prayer of power is fervent and impassioned. And the prayer of power is willing to contend. Man. Sometimes we make it through those first two, but the third one, we, we won't make it pass. Are you willing to contend? But let's talk a little bit about, about what that means. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Verse 5, we're going to read a couple stories in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll wrap it up in Romans. And then maybe I'll wrap it up altogether. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 5. Jesus, words in red, speaking. He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I don't have anything to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door's shut, my kids are in bed, I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. You know what that means? Picture, guy banging on a door. Hey, I had a buddy just drop off, I don't have no bread, can I borrow some bread? I... Dude, I just went to bed. My kids are in bed. I'm not getting out of bed. Sorry. Uh, no. But he don't stop. No. Hey, really, I need some bread. 
Look, you and me won't be friends no more if you keep banging on my door. You don't can't have no bread. I'm in bed. No, I'm, I'm serious. I really need some bread, man. Can you give me some bread? How many times? By the third time of yelling, I'm getting up and going to the door. I might yell at the door, but I am no longer in bed. Jesus said, because of his persistence, he wouldn't get up and give it to them because they're friends. But he bugged them so much he got up. So, Jack, here, are you saying we bug God, he gets irritated at us, and then he'll do what we're asking him? <laughs> no. Think about it for a minute. He's saying, if your friend gets irritated with you when you pester him, but eventually gives you what you're asking for, how much more will God who loves you do that for you? No. Oh. Well, look at the end of that, what he says. He says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask... And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. What's he asking for? He's asking for you to persist. Endure. Keep asking. You know, I have so much faith, I only need to pray once. Oh, I got another story for you. Turn a couple pages to Luke 18. Luke 18. When Jesus is talking about faith and how faith is expressed and how God sees faith in our life, he, he tells them a parable. Luke 18, verse 1. So he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. How often should men pray? Always. So what did Paul say? Pray how? Without ceasing. Pray always. Never stop praying. Always praying. Pray, pray, pray. Is that the way you would describe your prayer life? Well, listen to what he said. He taught a parable to them. Verse 2. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet this widow troubles me. So I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming to me she weary me. So Jackie, what are you saying? God said, like this widow pestering the judge until he finally does what she wants, this wicked and horrible judge who doesn't fear God nor man, hates everybody, but this widow has driven him to the point that he's willing to concede just so he can get her to be quiet. Are you saying that's how God looks at our prayers? No. Are you not listening? Listen. If an evil judge would react this way, how much better would a holy, loving, just God Respond. If an evil man respond to persistence, how much more will God, you know, the God you know, the one who takes down giants, walks through fire, closes the mouths of lions. We went through that already. Well, look what Jesus said. Verse 6. Hear what this unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with him? You hear this, this, this mean, rotten guy respond, don't you think God is better than him? 
And if God is kinder and more just and more loving than this guy, don't you think he'll respond? Even though he bears along with them, even though he's waiting for just the right time? Look what it says. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Do you hear what Jesus just did? Jesus just said, your persistence in prayer is a picture of your faith. Wow. So when Jesus comes, is he going to find faith in your house? As you still, every day, are on your knees fervently praying that God would move, even in something you've been praying years and years over, and you haven't seen God move. Will he find faith at your house? Jesus taught this parable saying, Men ought always to pray and never lose heart. Will he find faith in my house? Will I continue to pray? Will I continue to call upon the Lord? Romans 15, 30-33 says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayer to God for me. To strive. Man, that word in the Greek is sunagonoizomai. Means to contend. It's the same word used of an athletic event. To be in athletics and contend for the prize. Or be in a boxing match and contend to win the fight. Paul says in Romans 15, will you contend earnestly with me? Will you agonize with me in prayer? Will you put your whole soul into your prayer? David, the sin of Bathsheba murdering her husband. They were having a child. And the Lord said, David, your baby's going to die. You remember what David did? What? He prayed. But God said the baby's going to die. Oh, David had a lot of faith. David got down on his face and he laid on the ground and he cried and he screamed and he begged and he pleaded. Day after day after day, he didn't eat, he didn't wash, he didn't do anything but lay on the ground beside the crib of that baby and cry out to God. And the day when that baby died, when the baby <coughs> finally was, was taken from the earth, all the servants said, oh, I'm not telling David, look at him. Oh, I'm, how much worse can it get? David sees him talking and he says, is my son gone? Did my son die? And they say, yeah. And he got up and he went and washed himself, made himself something to eat and sat down at the table. And they came to him and they said, David, when your baby was, was alive, you, you prayed and you cried out to God and, and now your baby's dead and you, you, you just act like everything's okay. What's going on? Well, David knew who his God was. You know who your God is? David said, when my baby was sick, 
Who could tell whether or not God would relent and let him live? So as long as he was alive, I was praying earnestly for him, fervently. Sweat, great drops of sweat on the ground, tears all around him. Wouldn't eat, (coughs) would not do anything else but pray. Man, you ever prayed like that? That's intense. So they said, well, now what? My baby's with with the Lord. He can't come to me, but I'll go to him. I know who my God is. That's not the end. He mourned while the child was alive and he had opportunity to pray. He prayed. Even though nothing changed, he prayed. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will I find faith on the earth? You reach out to God with that attitude. Contending earnestly. Agonizing for God to move. Will you put your whole heart and your whole soul and everything that is within you, will you pour it all out for God? Because if we won't put all our heart into it, Why do you think he should listen? I'm, I'm sure he does. Sometimes our, our prayers can be so flippant. And this, the idea of contending, well, that's where the fast comes in. To contend for something. David was so focused on praying for the baby, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, he didn't wash, he did nothing. He, he just prayed. Daniel 9, verse 3, Daniel, as he's seeking the Lord, it says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting. Jackie, that's the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. Oh, you're right. Acts 13, verse 2. So they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. Hmm. Well, Acts 14.23 So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord, or commended them to the Lord, in whom they had believed. Fasted. Man, that's... A neglected discipline within the church today. Why should I fast? I don't know. Might fix your attitude. I don't have a bad attitude. Well, then why don't you want to fast? Or why should I? Then you have a bad attitude. I did, a, I did a fast. I, I've shared with you guys before. I did a fast uh, based on the book called The Awakening. So I'd encourage you guys, if you're interested at all in figuring out something about the lost discipline of the fast, I encourage you to pick up the book. It's by Stovall Weems. It's a 21-day fast. He guides you through the whole concept, has a devotion, the whole deal with it. And if you are saying to yourself, what is this all about? Then do it and find out. I'll tell you what will happen you'll become increasingly aware of who your God is. 
your prayers will be impassioned like you can't imagine. You find yourself reading the Bible and just breaking into weeping as the Holy Spirit begins to minister to your heart. And you'll never again say, why should I fast? You will say, when can I fast again? You long for that presence of God. Are you willing to contend? What if the prayer costs you something? What if it costs you a meal? The Bible says in verse 5 that they prayed all night long. doesn't say they stopped and ate. doesn't say they took breaks. doesn't say they went out back and played basketball for a while and came back in and prayed some more. It says they earnestly prayed in passionate prayer, weeping and crying and sweating all night long. And next week when we read the rest of it, they're still praying when Peter shows up. Man, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to think what God can accomplish in someone who will say, I, I just make a little space. You, know, you don't have to fast every time you pray. Nobody ever fasted every time they prayed. But it teaches us to make space in our life to allow God to speak. Is there space in your life for God to answer your prayers? Or your life so busy, moving from one event to another, and, and you got softball with the kids, and, and football practice over here, or dance recital over there, or learn how to play piano over here, and I'm working all day, eight hours a day, and I come home and I'm tired, I just need to sit down and unplug for a while, and there's all this chaos in your life. And you say, I just haven't heard from the Lord lately. You might need to make a little space. Might need to make some space so you can hear what it is that God has to tell you. Fasting is a way we do that. We create space. Imagine a prayer so focused on the Lord, you just forget to eat. Imagine a moment so focused on who God is and what He's able to do that you forget about all the other stuff that you thought was so important that day. Because that's what prayer looks like in the Word. Not like how we do it. It looks different. Last thing. That prayer was united. What do you mean? Well, who was gathered together praying? It says, the church. The church. We'll see. We go through the rest of the chapter. They were gathered in a lot of different places. But they were gathered corporately. Corporately together, they were praying corporately. They were reaching out and calling on God to move corporately. They had a prayer meeting. And people came. And people prayed. And people were impassioned at the opportunity. God delights in the unity of His people. Listen, Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again I say to you, If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You read that verse and ask me why we should pray corporately? Are you kidding? Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. Well, it's a little more than just agreeing. What it means is to have the same passion for what you're praying for. 
So they call a prayer meeting and the people come together impassioned by this need. Peter's been arrested. James been killed. They're impassioned and they come together as a body and they prayed. And God moved. So when we read the Bible saying they prayed, simple couple of words, take the time to know what that means. Because it's a discipline. If we neglect the discipline of fasting, we neglect the discipline of prayer more. The average believer prays less than 60 seconds a day. Does that not boggle your mind? I had to look back at it and make sure it didn't say the average unbeliever. Because I, I think an unbeliever prays that much. I mean, don't they? Driving down the road, and he looks in his mirror, and he sees a cop behind him. Oh, Lord, please, don't let him pull me over. He's not, he not even saying he's praying. That could, he could probably get 60 seconds, couldn't he? Oh, I've got a test. There's a test in the next class. There's a test in the next class. Oh, God, please, please. Somebody pull me out of class so I don't have to take that test. Supernaturally, give me the answers. Well, don't. They're not even a believer. The average believer, 60 seconds a day. And we say, I tried praying, but it doesn't do anything. Are we sure we're really trying it? Do we understand what it is? We want to see the intervention of God. As we close out tonight, or today, it's almost night. I've been preaching so long. Um, as we close out today, listen, we've got, we got a lot of problems in our church. Maybe you don't know him. So we got a brother, Keith, who has bone cancer. Um, radiation didn't do nothing. It's eaten most of the way through his spine and almost through his skull. I don't know. It seems like a necessary time for impassioned prayer. Uh, Mark Fry's got a brother with the same exact cancer, and he's not going to make it, and he's not a believer. Man, that's seems like perfect time for impassioned prayer. The Rice is a couple who come here. They're, they they were at last service. Um, they were going to go to the marriage retreat, but couldn't go because their daughter had some pain in her leg, and so they took her to the doctor. Oh, they think she has the same cancer. She's 11. They're not sure yet. Sounds like a perfect time for impassioned prayer. I haven't even begun to mention... The rest of the needs within the church and my brother Saeed in Evan prison in in Iraq or Iran or wherever, Ira. Seems like a perfect time for impassioned prayer, but God's people don't pray. What's what's why? Then if we'll search our heart, it'll be one of those things. Do you know who God is? You forget what he does. Are you, are you willing to be passionate? Is there something in that? Any of those things fill you with passion to pray? I bet if it was your 11-year-old, it would. 
Are you willing to contend? It might cost you something. You might have to turn off a TV or not take that trip or screw up your whole schedule to make space for God. Would you contend? Would you be unified with the body together when the body comes together for prayer? Lots of opportunity for prayer around here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, repent of their wicked ways, I will hear their cry from heaven and I will heal their land. What happens if God's people pray? Really? What happens? Do we see on the news tomorrow? Yeah, you know, well, we don't know what happened. Nobody knows where Saeed is. He just kind of walked out of heaven prison and he sprouted two wings like an eagle and he's home. Well, that could never happen. Have you read your Bible lately? Maybe you should open it up. What happens if God's people pray? We need to pray. So, let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you. Father, we just... uh, God, I just pray by your Spirit, Lord, you would move us to just grab a hold of the concept. What prayer looks like and, and what we've made it. Forgive us, God, that we don't even take the time to think about who we're praying to before we just throw it up. I I can't even say how many times I've done that. Forgive me for not giving time and, and, and just being still and waiting until I could find myself in your presence, just meditating on who you are and what you do and having the right outlook in my mind when I enter into your throne of grace. Forgive me that my prayers are empty and hollow and lacking passion. And help me to grab a hold of the passionate prayer that says, My brother is in, is in the hospital and he's going to die. And he's got a family that loves him. I love him. And I just pray, God, you'd you'd hear our persistent prayers and you would heal them. I pray for this 11-year-old girl and I, I thank you that she's braver than most of us right now. She's just ready to see what the doctors are going to say and what's going to happen. And maybe part of her bravado is not knowing, not understanding what's before her. But we understand. And Oh, Lord, give us passion to pray for her. You heal her, God. Pray for Mark's brother. He doesn't know you. He's... 
He's wrapped up in a cult and he's closed off totally to the gospel God. But man, when this cancer takes him, he goes to an existence apart from you. God, just send someone who can break through. And your spirit prepare his heart. Save him, God. Lord, I pray for my brother Saeed. I'm so thankful, God, that people are saved as a result of his witness. I'm so thankful, God, that he's a faithful man somehow filled with the strength of your spirit to endure. I'm so thankful that Nagme loves you and, and trusts you and looks to you for deliverance. So thankful about the things we hear and see. God, I pray we would be impassioned to persist in prayer that he would be set free. Moses went to Pharaoh over and over again and said, let my people go. He didn't quit after one time. God, I pray we would persist in prayer, that we would, God, just help us know who you are. Just give us the passion we need, willingness to contend, this, the unity of mind and spirit as a body, as a body of believers who come together in passion by like things. Lord, and there's so many other requests, so many other people burdened, so many other people struggling we don't even know about. What happens if your people pray? Real prayer. Not the stuff that looks like the same prayers as the world prays. We're supposed to be different from them. There should be a distinction between us. We shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't have the same things in the body of Christ that that is in the world. We We should experience so much more, God. There should be something else. So God, we pray you move in our midst and you intervene in our world and you heal and touch and give patience and endurance for your glory, for your name, because of who you are. So, God, move. Hear our cry as we offer you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.